Former Olympic medalist and Tour de France podium finisher, Coach Bobby J invites you to put your socks on. Winning and losing, training and racing, agony and defeat, all of it comes down to understanding what works and what doesn't. For that, you need an experienced and accomplished coach. From insightful analysis into our sport's most iconic races and racers, to educational, entertaining, and actionable advice. Fizzo is an illuminating deep dive into the art and science of racing. Legends, fan clubs, at the races, super fans, and how it all works. Join Coach Bobby J alongside his outskirts visionary co-host, Gus Morton. Prepare to be prepared. It's time to put your socks on. And welcome back to Put Your Socks On. My name is Gus Morton, and I'm here today with Coach Bobby J. How's it going, Bobby? I'm doing great, doing great. Nice one. And we're going to be talking about an absolute cracker of a stage today, stage six of the Tour of California. We're also going to be touching on fans and their position and involvement in bike racing. Daniel, you there? Let's, uh, let's kick it off. I'm here, I'm here. I've got some details before we get into it about today's stage. Ontario to Mount Baldy, distance 127.5 kilometers. Um, I've got a note here. It doesn't have any attribution, but I think it's from Gus. It says, and I quote, feels like we've been waiting for this stage all week, period. Three categorized climbs, uh, two Cat 1s, and an HC to the finish. Weather, 70 degrees, sunny, but, well, that's it, sunny, sunny, sunny and 70. 18 miles an hour, brief course, course description. This course is hell, period. Notable absence of the word lumpy in either the weather or the course description. So that's cool. Um, here's, a, here's a fact for you guys. Uh, Strava KOM for Mount Baldy is 22.25 seconds. That's Phil Gaiman. What do, you guys, what do you guys think about that? What do we think about Strava KOMs? I've got Strava. Strava's awesome. Strava's awesome. I only started using it when I moved down here to Greenville. And it was one of those things that kind of motivated me to get back on my bike and you know, think about going faster up climbs because I had kind of forgot about that whole thing. And uh, yeah, sharing it with friends. I think Strava's, Strava's great. Great. Cool. Okay, so I got a few more notes here. Uh, the city of Ontario is a promoter of pickleball, a sport that combines tennis, ping pong, oh, and badminton. I've seen people play that. That's the weirdest sport. Something tells me that not many cyclists would be good at that sport. It's a, a No, that's weird. probably why I don't like it. Yeah, it's a really weird sport. It has these weird starts and stops. It's like it looks we should all just maybe tonight do some pickleball pickleball research. That sounds strange. Yeah. Okay. I've got a note here that says Baldy is a beast, but is it a European caliber climb? Thoughts on that? Does it matter? It doesn't matter. Because obviously it's not a European caliber climb. It's in America. Wait, why is that obvious though? We're talking about caliber. Obviously, it's not an, a, a, literally a European climb yeah. because it's in America. But is it, we're, we're dealing with caliber here. Is yes. it the caliber? Oh, yeah, got you, got you, got you, radio. I mean, that's a very subjective term, right? Like, I think so. What's the caliber you, of it? Like, what are your here's, – here's what we should do, and then we can jump into the stage. Okay. Maybe I would love to hear, Bobby, three favorite climbs, Gus, three favorite climbs. Oh, boy. All time. And then we can jump into today's stage. Of all time. Yeah. Three favorite climbs okay. of all time. I like Plateau de Bay. I like the Madeleine. And I like Alpe d'Huez. Excellent. Gus? Um, well, I wasn't really much of a climber. I like Mount Evans in the US. 
Um, that's an absolute epic. I like, I did a, a climb in Colombia called um, uh, Letras and we rode up like the, there's like a gravel way. It's about 100k long. It's, it's a good one. And then, um, and then there's a nice little climb where I live in, in Australia, in Port Macquarie called uh, Comboing. And it's just like, a, you know, it's got a little nostalgia for me. So I'm not one for the racing climbs. Uh, to be honest, but I don't mind a, a long old slog. So you know what, yeah. this is back to slugs. You know what, this has been great. It's been fun to kind of just you know take a little dip, a little toe into climbs. Also, before we mm. jump into the, in today's stage, I um it, I wrote up letters too. It took me two days. You probably did it faster than two days, but it took me yeah. two days. Um, okay, it's a long one. It's Wait, a long we one. didn't get is it? So we we never settled it. I think that that uh, it doesn't matter if. Mount Baldy is a European caliber climb. Like if the if the, the the mountain itself is, I think it's how it's raced, right? You would argue. What do you reckon, Bobby? Do you think it's a European caliber climb? I think it's a little bit. I think it's special. European caliber. I mean, any climb that goes up that sort of altitude meters and that sort of distance is is legit. But I never rode up it. The only times I've gone up that, I believe, was driving in the car like following these guys as DS number two or DS number one. So I, I really couldn't put it, you know, say yes or no in that, in that aspect. But I mean, a climb is a climb and, you know, the rough pavement, the dead roads, you see that in a lot of climbs. I mean, not so much in the tour because they go and repave those really nice climbs mm. pretty, pretty close to the, the start of the race. But yeah, I, I mean, any climb is hard. And it doesn't matter what continent it's on. It depends on how the riders go up. In, in both the women and the men, we saw some serious gaps. We saw some, you know, some serious attacks, some serious, you know, distances between, between the other riders. So in that case, yeah, it, it worked. You know, you don't want to see a climb where, you know, 30 guys get to the top and they try to go around those little fencing thing switchbacks and you know can't even sprint because it's you know they're like in a slot car sort of situation but today both the the women and the men it was um the cream rose to the top yeah i think you're exactly right like it's 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 not an easy climb and the whole entire stage you know makes makes it right and i i, I like it i think it's i think yeah i think it's a good thing and um you know hopefully it can create its own mythology for sure for sure. So let's go into it. Okay, we better get some some details out of the way. Well, should we start with the women? Uh, we'll get to the women and talk a bit about about their race today, Bobby. Yeah, yeah, it was a great race. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so seventy four k's up Mount Baldy. We had a stacked field, as you were sort of saying yesterday. You know, this is the only World Tour race on, so everybody's good here. Like, if you just look at at the top ten of of today's or yesterday's stages, and there's obviously the world champ and and. Uh, all the hitters today's stage won by an American defending champion as well. We, we didn't get to see again, much of the stage, but um, I did get to go back and rewatch yesterday's stage because obviously it was pretty hard for them to do live. And, and I hope, I hope to do the same today's stage because it just seemed like, you know, the women were very aggressive. People were taking off and getting, you know, coming back to the group. And then we didn't really see when, when Katie and Anna, made their made their move but you know for two teammates to come across the line like that just kind of reminded me a little bit of the Hinault Le Mans 1987 Alpe d'Huez stage yeah, both of them you. were were super strong and they came across the line one with the hand in the air and the other one on top of the podium 
I thought that's great to see, you know, when, when, when teammates actually, you know, agree, okay, I have the GC, you take the stage win. It was a good race. I'm looking forward to watching it again, watching it tomorrow. As you said, it was hard to follow. Um, and it's, so it's hard to, to kind of do it justice talking about it here. But uh, it's worth a mention because hopefully, you know, as, as the sport moves forward, the women will come up on equal terms. And I know that there has been actually um, in the press leading up to the race, there's potential for law change in, in California that will mandate essentially a, uh, a female race that mirrors the, the men's race, which would be great. Um, so fingers crossed for that. And yeah, the, I guess the stage will be cut together and, and available to watch tomorrow. So for those of you out, out there, Make sure you take a look. Tomorrow, they are doing exactly that. They're doing the exact same course, the exact same kilometers, the exact same yeah. climb as the men. Pretty cool, you know? I mean, a lot of the times they have these truncated stages, but tomorrow they're mm -hmm. going to have the exact same stage. Anna has a, a pretty comfortable lead over Katie, her her teammate, and then even more, you know, over a minute down to Ashley Mulman in third place. Yep. So I think you're looking at a one-two for, for Bulls Dolmans. Um, you know, if everything goes to plan. So be be interesting to watch tomorrow. Yeah, there is the opportunity for a sneak sneak attack tomorrow for a nice long bomb. And given the aggressive nature of, of the of the ladies' race thus far, yesterday and today, hopefully we'll see maybe a cat amongst the pigeons again. But yeah, looking forward to it. The men's race. We've been waiting for this all week. TJ came into the stage in the race lead after being reinstated a couple of days ago. And, and before we get into it, actually, I want to just, um, before we get into today's stage, I kind of want to, I know that the whole Van Garderen affair has kind of been playing out and dragged on a little bit, but I just wanted to say, I spoke, spoke with my little brother yesterday after the stage, um, two really notable things that he said. First of all, he was like, man, we were public enemy number one out there in, in the race yesterday. And he said, everybody was just attacking. All the other riders were really attacking the shit out of us. And he said even to the point where like a break had gone and TJ pulled over to go to the toilet and it just started the attacks again, which, you know, and he said, look, like we, we survived it. We got through the day, uh, did our job and we proved to everyone that we could ride and, and that we did the jersey justice. But again, I just think like that's a little bit ridiculous, taking your anger out on on each other instead of the, the actual culprits, which are the judges of the race. George Bennett also had an interesting quote, which I thought was kind of funny because he goes um he said he was talking about the uh the chief judge and he said i think if he had have had a chance to make a different decision now he would have and then and then george goes without that decision i'd be in the driver's seat but now we have to do it the hard way and i find that kind of funny it's like now we have to do it the hard way as in we have to beat them we have to beat him by riding faster than him as opposed to beat him by him crashing out of the race so yeah i don't know i love george bennett and uh but i just think like what what but, yeah ridiculous statement there um anyway like uh but american sports you know we, we have instant replay i don't know if like, all uh, the listeners remember what happened but even with instant replay in the nfc championship game of american football this year between mm -hmm. the los angeles uh rams and the new orleans saints there was a blatant penalty that was in front of the whole entire world and even with the proof of instant replay they they decided to let what the call to... stand yeah and the the new uh the the los angeles rams went on to play in the super bowl so this is this happens i i, I get it but for mm. the riders or other teams to take out 
their frustrations on TJ or the EF team doesn't seem quite fair to me because like we stated Not yesterday, totally. even, even before we knew what was really going on, you know, it wasn't his fault. It was the, the, the commissaire's fault and the UCI is our boss and we have to listen to them. And you know, that, that just seems, seems unfair. So it's, it's sad, but a little bit expected that you say that the Peloton reacted that way. I think we exactly. need to change that. In some lighter news, Sir uh, Higuita, who was third on the stage yesterday, did that on a flat tire. He punctured with 500 meters to go and sprinted to third place on the stage. So I guess that was a, a prophetic performance given how we rode today. Um, and, and just incredible too. <laughs> like, what the hell? This dude is, is a freak. He's amazing. Very good rider. Very good rider. And we saw two of them today. And, mm. you know, we, we talked about uh, Podkar at the, yep. when he performed at altitude on stage two up in Tahoe. And yep. I don't remember what I said exactly, but it was something like, I think we saw this kid grow up in front of our eyes. Well, today we definitely did. And we saw two young, young kids, you know, new to the world tour, world new to the professional Peloton, putting the shtick down on established mm. pros. And I, I like that. I love seeing young riders do amazing things because, you know, back in the day, like you came in, you worked, you were basically a worker for, you know, a year or two years, maybe three years, and then maybe you got your shot. But in this day and age, these guys are coming out of the junior ranks coming into the world tour and actually winning. That's, that's unprecedented. I, I think um, it's unbelievable. You know, maybe, it really is. And to have two, you know, to have two riders under 22 or like 21 and 20, you know, now in first and second in, in the biggest stage race in the U S and, and beating notable talent, you know, like George Bennett, Richie Port, they were, they were there. They were, they were in the position. They, they made the race and, and these two young guys brought the race to them and took it right to them. You know, he quit attacking hard early and then Poker riding um, exceptionally, like well beyond his years. You know, he really was measured and he, he just he just kept to his pace and, and kept at it and came up. I guess we should go back partway through the stage, right? Break goes, EF controlled it really well. And then it was Shackman coming into the last climb who kind of decided to, to spice things up a little bit presumably to in the aid of um of Groschnader, his teammate from Onbora. He attacks, gets forty seconds, the the group hit the bottom of the climb, EF still have the numbers there. And then, you know, a couple of K into the climb, we see we see uh, TJ just just no expression change. No, his position on the bike doesn't change. He just simply pulls out and just goes backwards. Did you, did you see that coming? I didn't, but back up a little bit. EF was riding a nice, solid tempo. And then, yeah. you know, Trek came up and actually started yeah, helping sorry. them. And, and how strong was Mad Peterson's pulling? Like, I, what did he take? Three minutes back on that breakaway, just basically by himself pulling uphill. And, you know, he's not, you know, here's another young guy, you know, making an impact on a race, you know, really going deep for his leader. I, I like to see that, but... You know, if I was EF, I would have just sat on their wheel the whole time. You know, I wouldn't have even, yeah. you know, tried to, tried to, you know, kind of, kind of help them. And you know, I, I think they got the the hint there. But you know, one thing that I noticed down at the lower slopes of the Mount Baldy climb, or even before, okay, it was hot. But when I saw young Higuita 
riding with his jersey totally unzipped, flapping in the wind. I was just thinking, oh man, what a what a rookie mistake. I mean, does he know how many watts he's he's wasting with that flapping in the wind, especially after what we talked about, you know, aerodynamics overweight and 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 CDA and all that stuff. And it was funny, somebody must have come over the the microphone. Uh well, maybe it just started to get cold as well. But about mm-hmm. halfway before he started going up Mount Baldy, he actually zipped up his jersey again. So I was going to call him out, but he rectified it and, you know, saved some wants. But, you know, young guys out there, you know, when you're going full gas, um, don't have your jersey flapping in the wind like a, like a parachute if you want to go fast going uphill. I know it's hot, but, um, you know, let that jersey and the sweat that you have and the water that you're pouring over yourself, you know, cool your body. Don't let, don't let that, that jersey flap wide open. But, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm, into the, serious. I'm into the open jersey, though. I reckon that's that's a vibe. Um, Simon Spilak, actually, just on that as well. He, dude, he refuses to zip his jersey up, that guy. He's an amazing bike rider. He was like fifth on the stage or sixth on the stage today. But he's always, doesn't matter, freezing cold, Tour of Swiss, I'm going to take that jersey all the way down to the bottom and is just let it of, fly in the breeze. Gus, is this one of those things where, like, style and steez might actually give oh. you, might actually, you know, if you look good, you feel good, you go good? Dude, I'm actually. Good, I really. Me, I Simon really. Spilak goes good. I really mean it. Maybe there's something to that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, but hey, I just reckon bring it back. But you are right. It's uh, it's way slower. Yeah, but you're you're right. When when Sockman, you know, threw the hammer down there, that was definitely time to play. And I I yeah. felt that EF right then and there when your brother, who looked like he was breathing out of his nose uh, that entire climb wasn't really up in the pace i said oh no maybe tj's not good here because if if you're super confident you don't want to give that guy that sort of slack and i know you're 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 calculating and your ds is talking into your ear and telling you time splits and whatnot but that was kind of the first sign to me was how quick he got that gap and there didn't seem to be much uh animation in the bunch and then no like your your brother pulled off and it started to get a little sticky there and Askreen took over. And I'm just saying to myself, what is he doing? Like he should be on the wheel, but I kind of figured it out. He was just going his pace. And that's what I think it boils down to. Remember, this is the sixth stage. This has been a hard race. And when you're climbing, some of the time you just need to go your pace. And when you're sitting on the wheel, you actually feel a little bit worse because you're, you know, just not going exactly what you want to do. But then, no, when, when TJ put the, just pulled up the parking brake, that was not expected at all. You know, you got to think about maybe the stress that he had, you know, not only from recovering from his crash, but exactly what you just mentioned, you know, all the anger kind of, you know, or disappointment at the UCI was, was, was thrown his way. That's, that's a big burden. And everyone forgets that the guy that has the yellow Jersey in the races, he's getting less recovery time because he has to go to the podium. He has to go to the doping control. He has to go to the the press conference. He gets back to the, 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 the hotel later. There's a lot of things that go along with being a leader that you don't really think about. And, and that's exactly you know, it, right? Like the, the, the mental stress, you know, like that produces cortisol, you know, that, that um, reduces 
your ability to to recover and to to repair muscle and to to rid yourself of uh, of inflammation, right? So it's a, it's a physiological, quantifiable thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but you know, we we talked about it yesterday. We saw the way Higuita just popped over that little schnickschnack at the end yesterday, mm. and then sprinted to third place with a flat tire. So we were kind of expecting that. Maybe that was definitely in their plans. But I didn't see Rigo until there, right towards the end. You know, why wasn't he up with his teammates a little bit earlier? You know, kind of trying to calm TJ down a little bit. But anyway, it was a moot point because when you don't have when you don't have the power going up the climb like that. Uh, it doesn't matter how many teammates are around you, you know, you have what you have and, and he just didn't have it today, but, you know, gave us some good days in the yellow Jersey, his teammate, when he went, it was a little bit of, I saw an impulsive move, which is totally normal coming from a guy that's basically yeah, his first so to a race of the year. So, so young, but Podicar, the way that he just let him make that acceleration, take that gap, sit on George Bennett, who had, I think a little bit more, aspirations or maybe even you know a little bit more pressure than he had you know keep that gap stable and then he kind of worked with with George and then you know Sergio looked back and you know whenever you start looking back on a climb like that you know okay something something's going on and man he just he was able to get back up to him I don't like that finish I mean everyone knows that finish they know that those you know with those crazy switchbacks the terrible road you remember Tolansky, you know that drag race yeah. that he had with i forget who he beat on that day but i mean that that was that was like bumper bumper bikes you know they were bouncing off each other and bouncing all over the potholes and trying to get around all those those railings and the barriers and stuff and today sergio rode an amazing race and then just kind of whiffs that last turn didn't he oh man it didn't he? he just like it was like he just didn't i mean and, and you know like he probably never expected to be there and has probably never ridden mount baldy before right but just to see him like ride so spectacularly and then just at that last corner make that fault and you know like the surgeon behind him world's youngest surgeon pogachar he just knew he was never gonna make a mistake he hadn't made a mistake all week and he just uh with surgical precision executed the victory right um i I picked him yesterday didn't i and you picked higuita so we're pretty we're pretty good we're getting is that that what we did is that i know i picked higuita i forget yeah i think you did i'm pretty sure i picked (laughs) yeah we'll we'll say you did but we can we can rewind the tape and check that out or our listeners can help us out with that but um no um my you know i i was looking at richie today because Obviously, the team got up there and started doing some work. Richie hasn't had the best start to the season, but he showed us a little something today. You know, he's not—he's there. He's almost there. And exactly, you know, he's go- and he had a little weird mechanical problem, like yeah, on that downhill. That? The kind of like, I feel like if that hadn't happened, he might have got back to Bennett. Um, and I, I mean, he certainly didn't show any anything that made me think like he could have won had that not happened. But I definitely think you know he might have been a little closer to the to the front of the race, but I don't yeah, know. He was only it, was, 10 it, was, it was unclear. He finished 10 seconds behind. So like, mm. you know, anything like that, but I mean, you know, that's bike racing, right? Like you never know. We've seen some amazing finishes this year. And, you know, today was like, yeah, you were, you were not picking the winner until he crossed the line because you knew how technical it was. You knew what sort of road surface it was. So, you know, 
the last two stages is is bike racing and yeah you know yesterday was the longest stage today was the shortest stage but we we saw great racing all the way through and was that all kind of you know preempted by what happened on stage four you know with the you know with the controversy i i don't know but in the future if i was a race organizer for tour california make the stages a little bit shorter make the climbs count or you know whatever little obstacle you put in the way um make the finishes a little bit safer and let's 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 watch these guys race their bikes you know instead of doing these schlogs as you say guys is this a good is this a good time to transition into into our theme via via super fan cat two racer uh is he is he on the line is the super oh, fan he's, here he's here we, he's he's absolutely here i was thinking we'd go to super wait, you fan tell me and then, you, we've been let's keeping go, him waiting let's, let's go, go keep him waiting let's super fan in there and then, yeah. and he had he will speak on behalf of all amateur cyclists around the world. And then, and then we can talk about tomorrow's stage after that. Real quickly, though, I did get super fan. You got a text yesterday about the whole issue as to whether or not um, there's some suspicion or there's there's an idea out there that maybe the leg shaving thing is is overvalued in terms of its aerodynamic uh, efficiencies. Like, I don't know what to say to that, but someone was just basically saying, hey, Gus, I know you heard that leg, mm. sh- you know, leg, leg shaving is a bigger savings than a beard, but can that really be true? I don't know what you do with that. I don't know if you want to answer that or just was say that, like, Yeah, I mean, was that, was that so, yeah, I, let's, let's intro. We've got the super fan on the line, right? Well, he's the and man. The, he's connected to the people. He's plugged in. Well, I wanted to ask you that real quickly because then I wanted to say – if you have questions for Superfan, you should text them to 503-754-7476. And then I just thought this would be uh, maybe this whole issue of z- zipper, jersey open, vest of flapping, Watts versus looking good. Is there, you know, maybe people could chime in on that. Like, I know you're losing power, but, you know, but what if you look cool? Like, does that help? It goes a long way. It goes, goes a long way, way right? Yeah. Like, maybe... You, you, Sorry, Bobby, you go. You look, you look good. You feel good, right? You look good. You feel good. So maybe it got uh, 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 everyone out there. If you have a question for Bobby and Gus, and you want Super Fan to kind of get behind it, maybe we could. Uh, maybe this could be a theme. Uh, what weigh in on this uh, Watts versus style? Okay, Super Fan, take it away. Hey guys, how's it going? Couldn't be better. Doing well. We're live. This is exciting. Listen, what a stage today, Higuita such a powerful climber definitely not a crit racer that last corner was hard to watch but Mm -hmm. um pogachar was really you know pretty measured pretty pretty grown-up ride from him he's uh he's 20 years old and today on the podium i noticed he looked like he was about 12 years old with that big old uae baseball cap on his head um, and it made me think about you guys. You guys have been fans of the sport long before you were pros. Uh, when you were little kids, who were your cycling heroes? What were some performances that you remember from being a kid that kind of inspired you? I'll start off, Gus. For me, it's pretty easy. I grew up in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, and I was my dad worked for UPS, and he delivered his route was up in Aspen. 
and he delivered to Alexi Graywald's dad's shop, the hub of Aspen. Um, you know, he he was he was definitely wired into that European vibe that was in Aspen compared to Down Valley in in Glenwood Springs, and Alexi Graywall winning the 1984 Olympic road race was definitely for me the the start the spark. You know, when when he won, beating Steve Bauer in that sprint, um, we were actually out windsurfing at Rudai. Uh, no, I'm sorry, it was Harvey Gap. I believe was the lake. It was down above Rifle, Colorado. And we had one of those, uh, so this is 1984, we had one of those little plug-in tiny TVs that you plug into the cigarette lighter that basically, you know, black and white kind of mumble jumble. And we started driving home. So we had like the feed, we were watching the race and then my dad said, hey, we better get going. And we popped over a little hill and all of a sudden the reception went out. And the reception wasn't good in the first place, like you can barely see anything. But um, we turned around and stopped on the side of the road and we were yelling and screaming that uh, someone from the Aspen Glenwood Roaring Fork Valley won the Olympics. And yeah, that was it for me. After that, it was on to Greg LeMond. Obviously, that was a huge one. Miguel Indurine. And after that, I was, I was racing with those guys. So, Bobby, later on in your career, I assume you got to meet LeMond, especially after your third in the Tour de France. What, what was it like when you finally got to meet him? I'm trying to think. I think I met him very early on, maybe at the Tour de Trump or the Tour de Pont. But I do remember very vividly, I was in the little motorhome on the Champs-Élysées uh, after finishing third in 1998. And somebody said that Greg LeMond was here. And man, I was like a little kid. I was like a smitten kitten, just like ran out the door like, where? And there was Greg. And, you know, the first thing he said to me is like, man, you did really good. You could win this thing someday. And I, for Greg LeMond to say something like that to me, and obviously I was never able to, to win it, that, that was a, a pretty special moment. Yeah, I bet. That's, that's awesome. How about you, Gus? What do you got? So for me, I think Cycling Ridge's peak, it would have been, I think it was 99 maybe, when Alex Zulu uh, was actually on a ban. And in protest of being banned, he rode the entire stage of the tour uh, in front of the race, like 10 minutes in front of the race, and, and did it and just rode the entire stage solo in, ten, like in front of the race. <laughs> so for wow. me, I'm like, that's, that's fucking badass. Um, but, the, but the actual, like, the real, like, I mean, that's me looking back on it now. Um, but, did, but you ever me, try to, did you ever try to recreate that? in maybe your amateur I've, races? I've thought about it. I've thought about it, but then, like, I couldn't even hang on the back of the goddamn bunch, so I imagine trying <laughs> to ride in front of it. Um, but one, one, a, a big, like, for me, that sort of moment that Bobby was talking about where you get, like, you know, I remember everything about it was um, 2003, Tour de France, Jan Ulrich, uh, time trial stage where he, he rolled uh, Armstrong. That was uh, in the Bianchi colors, you know, um, with that incredibly badass, albeit not that aerodynamic position. Yeah, it was it was just for me, like, to Kaiser, to see him rise from the ashes like that. And um, it was sick. And yeah. I remember and I remember when he lost the tour then that year, I, I burst into tears. And I, yeah, and I that, cried. that race, the 2003 mm. tour, 
was was just one of the best ever. It was so yeah. so wild. I mean, and all the classification battles were really good too. The sprint jersey was was really fun to watch too. Exactly. And there were so many good stage wins that year. Um, do you? What are your memories of that year, uh, Bobby? My memories of that year was sitting on the beach of Lake Tahoe because I wasn't selected for the race when I was racing for Team Telecom. So I was watching it on TV. Oh, really? So you were Telecom that time? Vino. Vino. That's right. Yeah, that was Vino that was and Vino. Yeah. Yeah. I was um, up in Tahoe training at my altitude house and watching that, I'd have to go down to. Um, this little breakfast place down at the bottom of Mount Rose Highway to, to watch the stage because I don't think I had it up on my TV up there. Uh, so yeah, that, that sucked watching the T watching the tour <laughs> on TV, you know, four four or five years out of being on the podium that, that was not fun, but I was back the next year and um, got to do it a couple more times after that. Yeah jump into the the whole theme the fan thing just let's hear about fans. cycling cycling and cycling fans great great thing great topic i mean one of the one of the few sports in the world where you can reach out and basically touch your sports idols um obviously that's not an you know we don't like that the riders don't like that it's not safe but it is a very unique sport in that way like I don't know many other sports that you don't have to pass through five layers of security and, and, and whatnot to, to actually meet a player, let alone, you know, catch their water bottle or, you know, give them a little push going up the hills. But I think there's a line that you have to draw between being a fan and being a fanatic. And I don't remember where it started. I hate to say that it was like during the Lance years where all of a sudden we had these crazy people on the side of the road with these costumes and doing these crazy things. But I don't really remember it being so crazy before then outside of the Pay Basque region of Spain. There, that was, that was a big shocker to see how fanatical those fans are. And they all have the Basque flag and you're just going through the crowd and they're pulling it back, luckily, you know, right before. But, yeah, I think we should discuss, because what we're trying to do is create a bigger fan base and inspire people to get on their bikes, to come out and watch bike racing. And, and today was a perfect example. You know, the, when guys are going by at 50K an hour, 60K an hour, you can't really do too much. But on a climb like today, you saw not the biggest crowds that I've ever seen on Mount Baldy or in, in the U S you know, on, on a lot of climbs period, but you did see some guys running next to the riders and trying to get on TV and having all these little crazy outfits. We want to keep that, but at the same time, you know, you got to give the riders their space because remember they're not thinking clearly they're, they're at mm. maximum effort and any little tiny maneuver that they have to make is taking energy away from them propel propelling themselves forward. And I don't think anybody on the side of the road wants to see one of those riders crash or fail. But due to the fact that we don't have any barricades, that we don't have any separation between the fans and, and the riders, we do have to maybe make a little bit of a public service announcement and say, listen, enjoy the race. Just don't impede the riders 
don't get into a situation where you injure them or yourselves. We've seen many a time that a rider is taken down by somebody on the side of the road. Most recently that I can remember was uh, Nibali in, was that the Tour de France uh, two years ago? Yeah, last three year. years ago? Was, was it last year? Where year before, you, just, you see it happening, you see it coming, and you know it's, it's, it's hard to predict when. It's more like, it's not like if it's going to happen, it's more like when is something going to happen? So yeah, Gus, let's let's talk about those do's and don'ts of yeah. I, I just want to go back to, to what you said at the start, and and because I think it's it's said a lot, right? Like you know, something that makes cycling really unique is that you can get on the roadside next to your fans, and you hear commentators harp on about it all the time, and and you know you hear fans of the sport talk about it. Um, but I like, but I legitimately think what is really unbelievable is like that moment when you, you stand on the side of the road, right? You're on the side of a climb and, you know, like Pogachar and Higuita ride past you and you get the sense of scale, like, oh, that's a real person, you know, like that, like you, you get the, getting the sense of scale really grounds them in, in humanity. And I think that that connection, anyone who watches bike racing or anyone who's even just a little bit of a fan of it, go and watch a mountain stage. Like you just be there and watch the phys like the physical person completing what they're doing. And because I think it'll give you a new appreciation and a new understanding, like it grounds them in reality because it's so easy to watch this sort of stuff. Like you think back to the days of, of watching, you know, like, um, like Armstrong win by 10 minutes on a mountain stage or, you know, like, or like you, you watched the Giro last year when, uh, when Chris Froome attacked 80 Ks from the finish line. And, and if you haven't actually been there and watched these riders go past, it's very easy to just be like, that's superhuman. And it is superhuman, but they're humans. And so th that goes both ways in the sense of like, I think it's important to, to, to save that part of the sport and to promote that part of the sport and for people who are fans to make the effort to go down to the side of the road and watch it. But remember that they're human beings and that you can't just walk up to them as they're riding past and grab them on the ass or, you know, like wave some weird prop that you've got with you in their face um and but i do think it's a really important part of the sport and i think that it because there's been so much attention drawn to it via commentary and 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 these characters that kind of have become folklore everyone wants to be the the craziest fan on the side of the road and 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 if there's one thing the americans love it's outdoing each other and so there's people out there with incredible headsets and all this sort of stuff dangling off their bodies charging up the road and you know, it's sort of funny, but like when you're that guy trying to win a bike race and, and that can literally change your life. Um, and then you're some clown who's, you know, half cut running down the side of the road and you, you can potentially influence that. I think you just need, people need to be wary of that. Um, do's and don'ts though. Well, I, I must admit, I've never ever been at the front of a bike race on a climb that has any sort of notable crowd. So I can speak for the i or having although that i have been at the back of many bike races on climbs with lots of crowd and uh so i can only speak to the do's and don'ts of, of the of the back of the peloton um which i feel like they would change a little bit from the front of the peloton but what are your do's and don'ts bobby i'm definitely not a fan of people running next to you for super extended periods of time um, I mm -hmm. understand that maybe, you know, for, for a second or two, but I would prefer not to see that at all. That, that creates problems for the rider, 
creates problems for the other spectators, et cetera. Um, you know, nowadays, which wasn't such a big deal back when I was racing, is, you know, cameras, cell phones, iPads, all these things where you lose perspective of how close those riders are. Uh, I don't appreciate, you know, people standing out in the middle of the road thinking that they have this big telescopic lens and then basically they get run over or have to jump out of the way at the last second or worst case scenario, the rider has to alter his line to get around that person. But man, I've hit somebody holding a camera on the side of the road and we were not going that fast. It wasn't like, you know, a sprint finish in the Tour de France where, um, you know, somebody's like hanging over the barriers and, and, you know, somebody clips a cell phone at 60, 60 K an hour, but just at like 30 K an hour, when you hit a, a, a camera, a phone, an elbow of somebody trying to get out in the road, man, that does not feel good. You know, that, that hurts. And we've seen even worse instances of it. Uh, one example was Tor Hushoft in the tour. He actually ran into one of the, you know, those little hands that PMU gives out, uh, like a little cardboard cutout of a hand, and somebody was waving it over the barrier. And when he ran into it, it basically sliced him, and he was bleeding profu profusely after the stage. So, yeah, any anything close to the riders, I think, you know, we have this rule, I think you guys have it in Australia now as well, that, you know, don't, when you're passing a rider, you have that, that three foot barrier, you know, it's the law mm -hmm. three feet. It, it's kind yeah, of the same matters. thing. A meter matters. Exactly. You know, if I know we're not going to be able to stop everyone from running, but like, you know, maybe give them that space instead of trying to get in there and then take a selfie at the same time. That's th that to me is the biggest, uh, don't. Uh, the do's, like, we don't want to just, you know, concentrate on, I don't want to be super negative and concentrate. I love when the fans get out there and they paint your name on the road. Like, that's, you know, you don't really always see it, but every once in a while, you know, when you're suffering and all of a sudden you see your name on the road, that that's phenomenal. I, I think that's a definite do. But everything else, you know, as far as, touching the rider, pushing the rider. You know, there's a lot of people that think, hey, I'm going to help you by pushing you. But if you're standing up and somebody pushes you in the, in the wrong way, it throws your balance off and you can potentially crash. So let's just say hands off the riders. Keep, keep a nice little distance uh, between if, if you are one of those people that, that have to run along side of the road, which I, I hope you aren't. Um, and that's, that's the biggest thing. We want the fans to enjoy the sport as much as as anybody i mean yeah fans are a big part of of sports that's what drives sports forward hey, so we don't want people people to stay at home but you know just just respect the riders a little bit hey bobby just humor me here for a second the gauntlet the gauntlet's like when when the crowd leans in and you get like maybe a foot maybe maybe a foot and a half of space but they're right there and they do the the fist pumping thing and they lean in their knees are bent. I love seeing the gauntlet, but it looks kind of dicey because it, the, you know, you're basically, you have like a foot and a half wide alley gauntlet. Yes. Gauntlet. No. Yeah. That was a question I had. Um, that was a question I actually had for you, Bobby as well. I've never been in that situation, but like, do you back off? You obviously back off. You have to back off or are you just like, fuck it. I'm, I'm just riding for it. Gus, when I see it, they never back off, it seems. They just go right into Dude, it. Dude, I know. Yeah, exactly. 
I, I must say I wasn't in that situation a plethora of times, but I was in that situation sometimes. And I was always looking for that motorbike, you know, because that motorbike, people are going to move out of the way of that motorbike. So you kind of wanted to stay, you know, kind of in the middle of that wake of the motorbike. But a lot of the times I would just prefer to be on somebody else's wheel. Like, hey, I'm going to follow your wheel. You deal with that because it it is a scary situation. Like, is that guy going to move? No. Yes. No. Okay. You move. Those are things that you don't need to be thinking about when you're going full gas up, up some climb. What about, um, and sorry. it's not happening. Like it's only happening in like one race a year, right? Really? Gauntlet? Maybe two. No, you see the gauntlet all the time. That thing oh, where they the lean tour. in, where they crowd in the Giro. The yeah, tour. but they're not doing that at like Tour of Basque. Or like, yeah, they are. Uh, yes, they are. Yeah. I'm with Bobby on that. I would say that the, the, it gets, from my experience, the, it gets a little rowdy in Spain. Fan, true, fan, true, fanning, true fanning sure. it's a little rowdy it's fan. okay what about um uh dj party on independence pass with bubbles lots of bubbles like the bubble machine you ride i like bubbles. it bubbles don't machine. hurt bubbles don't i hurt. like i no, like that i'm, I'm I, I hate that shit no bubbles <laughs> okay i'd rather get physical i'd rather get physical what i'm with bobby bubbles don't hurt Plus they're like yeah, but they're soapy. They are gross. They are. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, pizza slice <laughs> hand up. Mm-hmm. Taking a pe- pepperoni, slice mm. pepperoni. Yeah, in a non-aggressive way. There's nothing worse than a passive-aggressive handout. If someone is like, "Here, take my beer," and you're like, "I'm fine. I'm in the middle of the bike race. Take the goddamn beer." Yeah, nah, you should I'm be, not into that. It should be consensual. Yeah, exactly. It should just be like, "I'm going to dangle this. Yeah. If you want it, you can take it." You know. Okay, the stag. He's the dude with antlers. He's I don't know if he's still doing. He's only he's only tour of California. He wears a um, Seattle Seahawks jersey and he has a yellow football helmet with an elk rack mounted to the helmet. And he also usually has a giant American flag. Oh, that guy's classic. I mean, he's got classic. I think three or four three or four of those. But you know what? He is a fanatical fan, but he absolutely knows what to do and what not to do. So he's a guy that, you know, when you see him, you know, you're like, okay, there's that guy again. Cause a lot yeah. of the time he, he changes the helmets. I think he has like the, uh, the Ram horns and the, the antler, like, yeah, you know, different, different styles of, you know, kind of sharp pointy little objects. Right. But he never violated or got in the way of, of Im- impeding the riders in my opinion. So, there is a perfect example of a fan that's a little bit fanatical, but knows the rules. So I, I, I would say thumbs up to, to that gentleman. That reminds me of the spring classic devil. He never gets in your way, but he's always in a devil suit. I don't know if you guys know. Uh, every, every, back in the day when he was a little bit more, when he was a little bit more spry, he used to like jump and kind of make me nervous. And then had that pitchfork that, you know, kind of run by you a little bit. Uh, especially when he started getting sponsorship and he was paid to be on TV, he would run by you a little bit uh, more frequently. But again, yeah, thumbs up to that guy as well. I mean, that guy's uh, a legend. Guys, I got the most contentious one right here. You ready? I know I, I know this is going to upset you guys, but I love it. Um, no, the colored smoke. 
Those colored smokes. Hell zero. No way. No. Hells to the no. Did you see in Milan San Remo this year when they did that and they started a fire on the side of the road? Yeah, I'm not advocating for a fire. I just want to pre- No, smoke, that. hell no. Smoke, any sort of smoke. Um, yeah. You know, guys are having to breathe that. It goes right into their lungs. You never know what sort of reaction you're going to have. That is pr- that is probably number one on the do not do list, even more than running next to the person or sticking a camera out. So hells to the no on that one. Let's, let's get this back on track, right? I do want to say we wouldn't be here without the fans, right? I love them. I love people coming out and doing weird things on the side of the road. I love people getting excited about bike racing. And I must admit, like, like a lot of athletes at, this, at the top level, they've got so much, they're under so much pressure and they're so full of self-importance that they've lost sight of why the sport even exists in the first place and what the point of it is, right? We're there as you know, athletes are there to inspire people to demonstrate what, you know, like the limits of human physicality and make communities and people come together and become inspired, right? So if those guys want to push me, if they want to crowd me on the stage, I can go for it. Because if that means that more people are going to turn up and more people are going to get involved in this sort of thing, let's have it. You know, I'm not going to be like, don't touch me because I will get a cold or don't touch me because I'm going to, you're going to push me off or oh, I can't be bothered signing this autograph or hanging around for five minutes because I need to recover without them. We're not there. Right. And so, and in the end, it's just sport, right? Like we're not fucking the UN. Gus, I have one more question fan related for you. Yeah. So outside of a frosty can or bottle of Coca-Cola or bottle mm-hmm. of water, what mm-hmm. is the strangest thing that you've ever accepted from a fan during the race? Oh, I can't dude, wait to hear this. That's a really good question. I mean, Man, there's, me there's, the a smorg- a there's a smorgasbord of things that I've seen, especially in America, tour of Utah, tour of California. Get up, stand up. Um, I'm just interested. I'll share you, share with, share you mine first. Um, yeah, do it was yours. Actually, it was actually a mountaintop finish. It was 2000. I had the worst tour I could possibly have. I was just totally depressed. I got up to the top. I didn't even want to have a Coke. I just kind of turned around and started going back to the hotel, which was like a kilometer down the hill. And as I turned mm-hmm. off, there was somebody on the side of the road with a, a full-size grill, like full-on American-style barbecue on the side of the road. And I saw about 12 of the greasiest, dodgiest-looking sausages that you've (laughs) ever seen, ever. And I pulled over to the side of the road, and and I said, you know what? This is not good for my recovery, but I want this. I need this. I think there's a difference between wanting something and needing something. I needed that sausage. An emotional Um, sausage. That was an emotional it was, need. It, and it was, Bobby J, and, I'm um, liking you more and more every time we talk. I love these stories. And Bobby, mm-hmm. what's going to happen tomorrow? Gus, what, what's going to happen tomorrow, guys? Good question. Well, like we said at Good the top question. of the show, the, the, the women and the men did the exact same distance. So, um, you know, obviously the tactics may be a little bit different uh, because the, women's, the women have a few less riders on their team. And, and really, uh, th- there's quite a few abandons so far. We'll have to check the 
the results to see who actually finished today because I know we had some guys drop out after that stage four crash at the end, you know, that started the whole TJ Van Garderen affair. There were some broken bones there. There were some guys out of the, one guy out of the time limit yesterday. We don't know who stopped and started today. But basically, you know, yeah, um, it it's, it's going to be, what, it's 40 miles before the top of the first climb, and that's only a Category 3. Um, they say on the profile that it's only uh, two miles, but when you're looking at the profile, I kind of added it up, and it looks more like a nine-mile climb if you start from the feed zone and go all the way to the top. But I think it's going to be, you know, the race was decided today. I think today was the race. Tomorrow, you know, we're going to see a breakaway. We'll have to see if there's any um, king of the mountain still up for grabs um, in terms of, you know, is Ballerini uh, threatened at all, which I don't think he is. And then you have a little kind of what what uh, Gus calls a couple snacks uh, on the halfway down the descent, which is an uncategorized climb, which uh, definitely call qualifies as a as a little snack it could be a launching pad because after that you have a long descent about what 12 20 miles to that next um uh to the yeah, sprint number two it's long and kind it's just twisting twisty and then you know getting down to pasadena you know you, you have three laps of the rose bowl so i think it's going to be pretty much a controlled stage but we got to think hey you know EF was the strongest team. They controlled it with some big bodies on the front. Who does UAE have to do that same sort of thing? Um, you know, is 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 it going to just go? You know, you know, getting getting maybe slapped down a little bit. Is EF just going to take the gloves off and just start swinging haymakers and 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 hope for the best? Or is it kind of like, okay, let's just get to Pasadena. Let's see a sprint finish. Uh, and let's get home or back to Europe. That's that's going to be yeah, the question. Yeah, there's a couple there's a couple of scenarios that could play out. I mean, it, more than likely the sprinters will want another crack. Um, and and I guess and then it's it's a relatively easy stage. Um, but there's a uh, I think it's 16 seconds between um, first and second. So do EF try and line it up to that first sprint? We know who Guida's quick. Um, do they? You know, if it's a bit of win there and that, it's, it's um, do they hit it on that first sprint, try and get some, you know, get a bonus, get some seconds and then go for the stage when like, and then try and really rip it up. So it's a small group. And uh, like it was yesterday, because you finished th third on the stage yesterday, I remember. And that, maybe they can kind of split it up. And, and that, you know, the Rose Bowl's one of those annoying little circuits. It's square. It's kind of hard for some reason. It shouldn't be, but it is. Maybe, yep. yeah, maybe for, they um, for, they try and do something like that. For me, the most dangerous guy is mm -hmm. uh, As Asgreen. You know, he yeah. can he he has a strong team. You know, it finishes on the circuits. You know, maybe they they throw it down over that last little snack period, and and bomb the descent, and then just you know basically TT it through, uh, you know, through those circuits. Um, yeah, he's a guy that is 20 seconds behind. Um, yeah. So he'd have to have a lot of things fall his way, right? Um, you know, he'd have to have the the two sprint points, which are or two sprints, which are three seconds each, mm. and then the 10-second um, time bonus at the end, which still doesn't yeah. get him all the way up there. But, but um, 
But if, yeah, I think exactly. it's going to be a sprinter. I think it's going to be a sprinter day. These guys are dead tired. They gave everything that they had today. But that's the beautiful thing about cycling. You don't know what's going to happen until it actually does. Who's your pick? Well, we kind of have to wait until the results come out to see what sprinters actually made it, if they all did make the, the time cut today. But um, yeah, gotcha. I'm going to go again with, with Travis, okay, because hopefully – he made a mistake yesterday by trying to boss that last little um, climb, which was maybe put him in the red, and then he kind of lost the wheel after that on the descent. Uh, today, I would imagine that he kind of was already thinking about Pasadena, and I would love to see him him and the national team bookend this beautiful tour of California that they've had with, with getting another another result. I'd love to see him win. I think that may be difficult, but yeah, he's going to be my pick. I want to see Travis McCabe up there again. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty safe bet. I'm, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm I think Askreen, I think Askreen's going to do something. Uh, I don't think he'll take the race lead, but I'm just going to go with him because I like the way he rode today and, and let's just, let's just make it exciting one more day. And with that, yeah. end of the show, Bobby J. Absolute pleasure, as always. And uh, looking forward to the final stage of the race tomorrow. This is great. What a great way to wrap up the show. Exactly. Always a pleasure. Vela News Voices is a new multimedia platform featuring a collection of cycling luminaries, each with their own distinct point of view and channel. Coaches, athletes, movers and shakers, visionaries, the old guard, the new guard, the vanguard. Vela News Voices is how and where the story of our sport is being told now and into the future. Fizzo is hosted by Bobby J and Gus Morton, produced by Manual for Speed, edited by Eddie Rogers, and a special thanks to our anonymous superfan. Don't forget to share, follow, and subscribe on SoundCloud.